Welcome to another episode of the Awareness Advantage Podcast, where leaders who are good at getting stuff done become great leaders to influence and inspire people. I'm your U.S. co-host and best-selling author, Kevin McCarthy, joined by my good friend, Canadian business partner, and best-selling author, Licky Labji. If you have not yet done so, click subscribe so you never miss an episode. And now, the Awareness Advantage Podcast. When people are avoiding doing their jobs, how do you, how do you help modify their behaviors? What you're saying is that we're making an assumption that they're doing it deliberately, right? Because that's all we can see at that point, right? Yeah, or Kevin, or they're assuming, or we're assuming, say if I'm the one assuming that they're not doing their job, I'm assuming that they know what their job is and what my expectations are. Mm-hmm. Another aspect of it, yep. yeah. And avoiding feels a little different than not doing. Mm-hmm. And I, I agree with Shishi, the curiosity approach here, but understanding, asking, having the conversation with said individual, wherever they are within the team, right, is to also find out if that avoidance is is really because it is a part of the job they are really not passionate about and so they don't have an external motivator to push them through the dry you know boring stuff that that they, they may experience as boring but somebody else on the team may have a super like another way to look at it or has a passion to do that part of it. And maybe you just need to be a little bit flexible in what maybe some of the job roles are, if you have that type of power in your environment to, to adjust um, what certain jobs are, or you just need to work with the individual as somebody who needs sometimes, sometimes needs some of this help. You just need to work with the individual to realize they're not passionate about it and creating something that keeps them on track, keeps them doing the task without avoiding it, that at least gives them a sense of purpose because when it's super dry and super boring and you and, and you have zero clue as to why you're doing the task or why it's included in the the job function or description can make it really difficult to get through as well. Good, Randall. So, so Randall, so I'm going to get curious about that, mm-hmm. comment, that comment you just made. So what I'm hearing is that they're not motivated to do the job. Like she, she's putting the little uh, window, window there. They're not motivated to do the job, but they're just doing the job as a task and it's showing up as not caring. Is that kind of what I'm hearing? I guess it could show up that way. Um, I care about the job that I do and I care about the things that I do, but <laughs> Steve, you're right. Is it the right bum in the right seat or is it the right job or the right collection of jobs for the individual? Assuming that there's several things here. There are parts of my job that I absolutely despise or dislike, or I find not motivating and, and elements of what I do that includes things like fun development, which is boring to me. And so my external motivators have to reactivate to different things. Like how am I going to help somebody? How does this go forward? I work for a not-for-profit, right? So like, how does this help fuel where this not-for-profit's going to go? How does this change the direction? How does this enhance, right? Like I have to do those things in my own head to actually get myself around the, the things that I've had to do that I really don't want to do. So, so it is a, a case of unmotivated. Because I either don't understand the project or I have zero input or zero passion for the project. But there are definitely times where we have ill-equipped or ill-informed individuals in in our teams or even in our own lives who may not know the whole outcome. And they're just, we're, we're so... 
we're in a society of specialization, right? You do your job. That is the function you do. You do it well. And somebody else does another part of it. Well, what if that person doesn't know what the next piece is or why it's so important or, or why this, the task that they're doing, which is so mundane in their moment is monumental to the next person, right? Like it, it, the conversation still has to happen. And it could be that they totally get it, but they are just not motivated to do said task. And then we are down to, is there a way to work with this individual to enhance or increase external motivating factors? Or are we really at a point where this is not the best fit? But I mean, not the best fit is not ever your first response, right? You have boxes to check off. You have things to go through. You have learning and curiosity to take care of before you can realize that it is not the best fit. And most times that person should be able to figure it out on their own. Thanks, Randall. That, that gives a little bit more depth in what you were saying. Um, I wonder if we're going down a different tangent on this than we, and the question is, and I, and I ask that because, well, let me ask a question here to everyone. Who does things that they don't like to do in their job that they have to do, right? So, well, actually I don't anymore, Kevin. Thanks for taking on everything that I don't like doing. Why <laughs> I raised my hand. <laughs> You're welcome. Well, that's a problem. We need a third person to take on what you and I both don't want to be doing. Working that out right now. <laughs> <laughs> but that, isn't that true? That we, there are there are things that we don't want to be doing. But does, does that show up as we're not doing our job? Or is this a different question than the expectations that our leaders have on us that it shows that we're not doing our job? Well, you know, I always have an opinion, so I don't know if I'll wait or I'll share it now, but uh, I'm actually kind of passionate about this whole topic right now. I mentioned that book here in the chat about the six types of working genius. So like, I think there's a, a level of this where, you know, we as leaders, like, you know, we've got to address those situations, make sure we're, you know, we've, we've given expectations and roles and all that with clarity, but at the same time, like we got to be realistic about, okay, if you know, if we're asking Mark to do something that he has absolutely no passion about, no interest about, maybe even marginal skills to do like that, is that on him or is that on us? I kind of want to go off of that only because I've been on that side of things where I've been assigned tasks where I don't have all the information that I need. And as an analyzer, I need that information and it makes me basically kind of just want to shut down. And then I go back to that person to ask for more information and they seem to think, well, you should know how to do this. And they still just don't give me the information. Well, then at that point, I don't want to do it. So what, what do you do in that case? Yeah. Is that person a competitor by chance giving that lack of information? <laughs> the head is nodding. <laughs> Love it. Mm. Jeffrey, I think that's a really interesting point that you bring into it is, is our, is our type or our, our come from. Uh, and the difference that that makes, and especially the the one who's asking for it, or the one who, um, the one who's assuming that we're avoiding. Yeah, you know, it. You get people who they understand it completely, so they just assume. And I'm gonna I'm gonna throw a competitor out there just because this person is a competitor, but they just assume that you know, you know what what needs to be done. And and I, when I go back and ask for clarification, I just feel like I'm being irritating to that person because. I keep going back asking more and more questions. So eventually I'm just like, well, I'm going to stop asking. But at the same time, I don't want to do the task because I don't want to do it wrong. So kind of a loop. 
and then they're frustrated. It's like, what the heck is wrong with Chelsea? She's not doing this thing I asked her to do. And and then, so again, is it your problem or is it their problem? Right. It's, it is large, or do we got to find a way to, like, I think we got to find a way to have this conversation because like, if I don't, as a business owner, if somebody's not doing what I'm expecting, like, have I been clear in, in, in that? And that's where I think the, the you know, I'm an analyzer as well. Like I, I'm going to try and be the guy that analyzes the hell out of everything before I ask, but I'm also a human and I don't do a great job at it all the time. So honestly, I think there's two sides to this coin. One, one, the person being, uh, open and honest about what you're asking me to do. Like, this is not my thing. And us as leaders being, finding a way to make adjustments where it's appropriate. I mean, my first question was, we got the right, I'm in the right seat. Maybe we're totally expecting something of somebody that has no capability of doing it in the first place. And then again, is that on them or is that on us? And then to further that, Steve, maybe there's also the problem that the individual doesn't even know how to self-advocate, right? Or, or self-sabotaging is in the mix so that they are assigned a task. They say yes to the task. They ask a number of questions, whether or not they go to a point of feeling like they're being irritated or not, but are they, do they even have enough to do anything? Or is it a culture where they don't feel that they can open their mouth and ask and, and express that vulnerability? So I like Randall's point, but I'll, then I'll go back to you, Randall, and say, if you're their leader, is it up to them to fix the problem or is it up to you to try and advocate maybe on their behalf and help them ask the, the, the questions to see, okay, like, how can I help you do this? Or, or, you know, do you feel like you're struggling on this thing? Like, and how can I be able, you know, how can I help you or whatever? Like, again. I'm in a situation right now where I had somebody blew up in the middle of a staff meeting because they are in a tough mental state right now. It kind of feels the same way, right? Like, is it my problem or is it their problem? Well, I've realized it's partially their problem, but it's mostly my problem, right? So mm-hmm. what can I do to bridge that, right? And I don't know. It's I don't think there's a perfect answer to the question because every situation might be slightly different, but um, I, I'm going to shut up because I've already said way too much today. <laughs> Steve Randall, Sue, thanks for those comments. Um, I keep on hearing the word, is it a problem? And is it really a problem if it hasn't been addressed? It becomes a problem when it's been addressed and hasn't been dealt with and keeps on recurring. That communication of whose responsibility is it, I think it's both both people are responsible for it, communicating what's going on. In any relationship, and Mark, you can probably speak up on this, in any relationship, if there is an expectation on one side and the other person's not delivering it with the, with the other person not knowing about it, whose problem is that or whose responsibility is that? Let's, let me jump in on that on your bandwagon there for a second, because if you, uh, if it comes right down to it, if you remember the term that we use quite often, and that's being left unaware. And so it's, it's incumbent upon you, upon each of us to take that responsibility, assuming the other person is in a state where they're unaware. They don't realize what they're doing or how they're coming across. Right. So, uh, Chelsea, your competitor who gives a, an assignment and does it in a very short and uh, bullet point type way that you're not getting the details you need. Right. Is that their responsibility or is it yours to get what you need? Now I, I agree. There's responsibility on both sides, but what is your expectation? What can we do about that? It is both. I agree. However, when I go back to that person and I 
have my list of this is what I don't understand. Could you please clarify? And then they still don't get the information to me. <sighs> That's where it gets frustrating, I guess. Mm-hmm. Is I've told you specifically what I need to get this done. You know, what else can you offer as far mm-hmm. as information goes? So, yeah, I don't. And from a, well, from a, uh, a style standpoint, right? We're, cause we're kind of talking a little bit about the styles, competitor, motivator, peacemaker, analyzer, and all the different blends competitors typically, and for those who are competitors here, you can agree, nod your head. If you agree, competitors typically would prefer you just bring something to them and get to the point and tell them the way it is. It's like, don't sugarcoat it. Just let me know how it is. So as a competitor, if you were, if I was that person causing you the angst, it might be uncomfortable for me, but I would prefer you sit, you know, call me out and sit me down and say, listen, (laughs) I want to do the best for you possible to get this assignment done, but I simply need more information. I, 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 I need that from you. I'm not getting it. Right. And I'd be like, ugh. I don't like this conversation. (laughs) If you are in leadership at any level, from frontline manager to chief executive, Licky and I would like to invite you to join the conversations in our live virtual studio audience every Thursday or any Thursday that you are available from 8 a.m. to 9 a.m. Pacific time. For more information, please visit us at blindspots.vip forward slash audience. That's blindspots.vip forward slash audience. Now, back to the program. Well, and I have done that. I, um, I, I'm not one that won't call somebody out. I have done that. And in this particular instance, I wound up doing the job to my best of my ability. Did I enjoy it? Did I want to do it? No, but I did it. And pretty much just said, here it is with the knowledge that I had and the ability that I had. Um, let me know if you have questions. But, but yeah. It is definitely on both parties because as an analyzer, I do need to speak up and say, this is what I need. And you're right. With a competitor, you have to be like, bam, (laughs) to the point. So Nice. Mark? I'll just add something to this conversation, I guess. I think the relationship responsibility is the one who is aware. So Mm -hmm. both are responsible, but who's more responsible is the one who sees the problem who is feeling the problem, who is experiencing it because they have awareness. They're seeing something someone else is not because they have a blind spot. So I think that part of that responsibility, I do agree with Shishi's comment on the, in the comments as well, that, you know, if you're a leader, you're responsible because if you're a leader, then there's an expectation that you lead (laughs) and you should be, you're responsible to be aware. So. I think that that's kind of where I land on this. It's like both are responsible, both sides. You know, communication is always two ways, bi-directional. And so who's more responsible? The one who is aware. And they can help the one who is not aware. So it's it comes to attitude as well. Can I help them see what they're not seeing rather than judging them for not seeing what they don't see? Well put, Mark. Yeah, and I guess that's sort of that's where my bandwagon is going is that the awareness of who's, you know, we're here right now. They're not here. They're not aware of what this conversation is all about. At this point, it's our responsibility to step in and do what we can and manage that conversation 
you know, as we're talking about this, what else comes up is I am doing the best I can. I'm doing exactly what I need to be doing, but you're not seeing that. You still think I'm doing a mediocre, mediocre job. Now what happens? Well, and I, I was just going to say something like that, Licky, uh, to your point, if you take the original question and then Shishi's initial comments about the assumptions we're making in the question, you know, the question is when people avoid doing their jobs, what if that person believes they're doing a great job, right? But am I hearing you right? What if they believe they're doing a great job, but you're the perception from the leader is they're not. And, and you, yeah, I think that's right. And there's an, another level to that is that in the corporate world, there's systems and processes that have to get done. The checkbox has to get done. And all of a sudden you get a meets expectation as opposed to you're doing a great job because one checkbox wasn't clicked. And now all of a sudden you're feeling less than, and now you're not motivated to do the job anymore because the motivation's, like, motivation's gone. So there's a lot of different layers to this conversation, and we just have to understand where our responsibility is in that conversation and where our assumptions are and what we think our expectations are. And as leaders here, what are we expecting for, from others? Are we communicating that? You just reminded me of uh, one of our coaching clients mm -hmm. uh, was sitting in on a, uh, a performance review for one of their direct reports, giving the performance review to one of that person's direct reports. And the direct, the, uh, the person getting reviewed exceeded expectations in every category. And then for the overall performance review, got meeting expectations, mm -hmm. right? I mean, that was a complete breakdown. And, and our code, our client was like, how does that work? And the explanation from the direct report was, well, they, they don't exceed every time. <laughs> what a, what a snafu, what a conundrum when you're the person exceeding expectations and the person that's seeing what you're doing, isn't interpreting it the same way. Right. That would kill somebody like me. And then Sue, you're not alone there. Right. I think, right. You know, you're not alone. Uh, that those comments like that and those surveys and performance reviews, they really take people backwards because now you're grading them based on what your thoughts are about that person. You're not even in their job every day. All of a sudden, do you sit there and you have to fill out your own performance review form and you have to look at it and they review, they, they grade you on a form. Those things really irk me. I mean, that's from a coach perspective, a consultant perspective, I want those things gone, but it's there in the corporate world. But look at in this situation right now, Chelsea, you brought up something as well, but you know, you're, you're communicating what you need to communicate. You're still not getting it. Now, is that a person that, is that a leader of yours or are you the leader for that person? It's a leader of mine. Yeah. So that's even harder for you because you can't really call out their, their BS, right? And what do you do at that point? Yeah. I feel for I, you, Chelsea. I just do the job to the best of my ability. Go for it. <laughs> this is where Kevin and I get really frustrated is that we... <laughs> We want to help these leaders and because there is so much work to be done. And there's this big thing right now going around about people changing jobs and leaving and not motivated and they're not happy. It's all solvable just by being aware and communicating. And people are doing the best they possibly can. And if they're not doing the best they possibly can, it shows. I mean, we know that, right? There's people that just show up to work nine to five, clock in, clock out. 
that's that's going to happen in some places. By by default, people want to do what they want to do the best they possibly can. And sometimes they have a day off. Sometimes they don't. And as leaders, how do we really understand that? I think there might be a generational aspect to this as well, just because I know in our world, like we've got some, you know, younger people here and, you know, if they come to work, they think that's mixed, exceeding expectations, you know, it's just that way, right? Like where we, as you know, we say, okay, well, we expect you to be here at eight o'clock and you need to leave at five and you need to do so much, you know, accomplish so much on the, however you want to measure that. And, and in their mind, they're like, what's the problem? I came to work five days this week and they think that's all that's expected. So it comes back to that clarity piece, right? Oh, well, but uh, Steve, I'll challenge you. Okay. They are getting paid for coming from, for eight day, eight hours a day, five days a week. And they're doing what they best possibly can, most likely in their eyes. Yeah, but that's, that's what we expect. So they are meeting expectations, but in their mind, they're saying they're exceeding expectations because they show up every day. Yeah, but I didn't show up for six hours a day. I didn't show up for four hours a day. I showing up. And, and I think that's where the rub is here, right? This is where the rub is, the expectation. Like my expectation is different than your expectation. And that's where it comes down to like, let's be clear on, on the expectation. Let's have these open and curious conversations. In my world, it's like, I have an open door policy and that frustrates the dickens out of me when people don't come and talk about problems. You know, they, they, they go around me or, or whatever, right? It's like, I have an expectation because I'm a, I, I think I'm, I'm an open book that, Hey, you have an issue. My door's open. Let's chat. You know, I'm not pretentious and I'm not mean and I'm not none. I'm, I'm at least I'm trying not to be any of those things. Uh, maybe I am. Um, it, it's just, yeah, it's frustrating. I, I get the, I get the Chelsea's frustration here from my end looking down and, and I can understand there's looking up. It's not clarity. I think you hit the nail on the head, Steve. It's with a lot of what we're talking about. We have a expectation gap, right? Mm -hmm. We're setting expectations in our minds as the leaders. We may think we're communicating those expectations, but are those expectations being received and understood? And if they're not, we've got a gap. And of course that gap is always filled with negativity, disappointment, disillusionment, discouragement, frustration, you name it. And I think the understood part is the key to there because you can say whatever you want and they can nod like this, like, yeah, I get it. But do they actually understand it? Mm -hmm. Well, and, and multi-layered, right? Because you know, we, we, as the leader, um, or the organization, the company, what have you, we have our expectations and maybe we've clearly communicated them or in, in our mind, we've clearly communicated them, but the person on the other end has their own set of expectations. So how about a conversation to discover what those expectations are and, and then a checking in of, this is what I think I hear you saying. Nope. You know, let me clarify that. Okay. This is what I'm imagining that you're saying. Oh, no. You know, let's, let's twist that, adjust that a little bit. So back to Chelsea's story, if there could be a conversation with your leader, Chelsea, where you both get to say what your expectations and understandings are of the situation, the job, the responsibilities. And unfortunately, a lot of leaders aren't asking those questions back. They're, they're saying, okay, this is what I want. This is what I expect. This is the part of the job, but they're not asking the same question in response. What are your expectations? What does meets expectations mean to you? What does exceeds? Um, if we're looking at, at 
um, KPIs, key performance indicators or goals or objectives or however the organization defines it, how clearly are they defined and what's the understanding level of those? So it all comes down to to mark and relationships and communication. Mm-hmm. Correct. The other piece I was going to say is what about what about the next layer where we're actually telling that person, hey, we see greatness in you and we want to bring that greatness out. So we're going to expect a little more of you because we think you got it in you. People rise up to that, especially this generation, the younger ones. They they want to be part of a cause. They want to be part of something that matters. And when you when you call them to that and say, I want to walk, work with you and I want to make sure that you're successful, that now they're not just coming to punch a clock anymore. They actually they're actually coming because they believe in you and the company and what you want what you want to accomplish. I love that, Mark. That goes all the way back to earlier in the conversation, Cindy's original comment, right? Where you 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 look for things that you can praise them for, similar kind of a a mindset. Just look for the the ways you can raise the bar, help them rise up to it, right? But please do not abuse your overachiever because that's what they are. And they will recognize in your company culture exactly what you're doing. I see greatness in you, Kevin. I do. Here's the extra things we're going to get you to work on because I see greatness, but I'm not going to ask six other people to do something similar because they're not as great. But now I'm going to ask you to pick up pieces of their job because they're not as great, but I see greatness in you. That person will suddenly realize how much of an overachiever that they have been and they will start to pull back because they realize that they are no longer being recognized for the abilities that they can provide. They're being recognized for the gaps they fill. That's a problem. Okay, I'll call them (laughs) with authentically saying that, not trying to get more out of somebody that is already giving a lot. I love this conversation. Mark, he can relate to this. This goes 100% into relationships as well, right? We always look for what they're not doing as opposed to what they are doing. Yeah. And and what about bringing the resources to bear? Or, you know, like in Chelsea's case, I, if I was her direct report, I would have said, what can I do, Chelsea, to help you do your job the best you can? So you, so you love what you're doing. I think this is the problem we've got into the sausage factories in the work world, and we just have lost the humanity. We've lost the the connection pieces and the relational models have been thrown to the side for productivity. But if people would realize if they put the little investment of relationship up front, the productivity will soar. It won't be one person doing it all or filling the gaps. It will actually be a team working together to to success. And we've seen it. Uh, We've seen models of it and glimpses of it, but we could sure use a lot more of it. Mark, that is so spot on. And it reminds me, like you mentioned, the sausage factories, the industrial age, you know, just we have to get productivity out the door. We have to get the outcomes. And uh, and now you've got, some of you may even have green belts, black belts and uh, Six Sigma or uh, Kaizen, you know, the methodology of Kaizen and such. And I feel like to your point, we're missing a huge aspect of high performance. You can have all the process you want, but if you're missing that relationship aspect, that connection aspect, you're never going to get the ultimate out of the, uh, the team. Well, and let's add healthy to that healthy high performance. Mm-hmm. 
And part of that can be, Mark, I love what you what you refer to with the sausage factory and the team and and all the the things that can be brought to bear. And Randall, to your point about not continually pushing on the high achiever, the overworker, all the other people that make up the team that and in particular with this with Gen Z and how they they are teaching the rest of us so much about what it's important to value and that work shouldn't have to be and doesn't have to be unless we choose our entire life that that our life outside of work is just as important if not more important and so not even balance i don't like that work life balance term i think it's more like a blend or an integration but you know listening to those voices of of those who really do just want to come and clock in and do their job steve to your point you know work their 40 hours and then and then go home and there needs to be space for them too. Nice. Well put, Shishi. Yeah. We're hearing a lot of comments about what's not working and how the industry is not doing what they need to be doing. But I will say there are shifts happening in the marketplace. People are becoming a lot more self-aware. We've got a cohort right now, and one of the leaders yesterday mentioned that they are doing the Six Sigma, Kevin, as you mentioned, but they're also doing the work of self-awareness. So it's going hand in hand. Let's, you know, like the comment I made earlier is let's not only focus on what's not working. There are leaders that are working and it's working for them. And that's where the, the industry is changing. That's where I feel that people are getting better at what they're doing and they're enjoying their workplaces. And if they're not enjoying where they are, they're moving to some place where it will work or the leaders are shifting. The, the entire conversation around self-awareness and being aware, as Kevin puts it, is starting to occur. I mean, look at all of us here. We're here weekly. It's you know starting to do the work. We're doing the work. We're all doing the work. How do we get this to spread to people that aren't aware is, is, a, is a problem, I guess, what I'm sensing. Because they're not here. The people that need to be here aren't here. Well, I, I love the question, Licky, and there, I agree, there is a culture shift that's been happening over the last few decades. Uh, I think there's a lot to be said for um, the richness of the studies that have been done around emotional intelligence and self-awareness that have really aided in this culture shift. And then to Shishi's point, and even uh, Steve, uh, you mentioned, I think the the younger generation is also pushing in that direction, you know, because they're like, you know what, we want lifestyle, you know, they, you know, there might be a mismatch of ideologies, but they, they want lifestyle. And we're having to go, okay, you know what, what is healthy performance look like? You know, how can we have good balance in our life, good integration in our life throughout the work and outside of work, right? Self-awareness is a big part of it, but Licky, you mentioned it. I, I feel like there's a even a higher level of uh, self-awareness and emotional intelligence. And that's what we call awareness in the moment. Cause you can have high emotional intelligence, high self-awareness, you know, like you really, you've got it going, but because we get so wrapped up in the minutia of our days, all it takes is that one moment in time where you're not paying attention, you're not aware in that moment to make a decision or to behave in a way that's, that has a ripple effect, right? If you are in leadership at any level, from frontline manager to chief executive, Licky and I would like to invite you to join the conversations in our live virtual studio audience every Thursday or any Thursday that you are available 
from 8 a.m. to 9 a.m. Pacific Time. For more information, please visit us at blindspots.vip forward slash audience. That's blindspots.vip forward slash audience. Now, back to the program. Ultimately, that's kind of what we're doing is how are we stay aware in the moment? What's going on? That's a really good comment, Kevin. Thanks for uh, allowing the space for us to sit back and reflect on that a bit. I think I know what I did was I sat there and thought about what occurs for me when my emotions go up and down. Am I in the moment as well? And we do this as we're teachers of this. We, we live this. And yet we're not always aware of our emotions. It's when... I guess under stress, how do we behave? Are we actually there and being aware of our emotions and being aware of what's happening for other people around us? Or are we just that factory that's getting things done? Kind of leads right back to the original question, right? Assumptions, expectations in that question, and ultimately awareness. If that person, so the back to the question, when people avoid doing their jobs, how do you help modify their behaviors? Well, let's, let's take that question from the, the angle of what's my role of awareness in those moments? What's their role? Are they aware? Maybe they're not. What can I do to help elevate their own awareness? And we've talked about a lot of different opportunities to do that, right? Communication, you know, effective communication with them, watch for uh, ways to praise them, raise the bar right? and, and let them rise up to it as Mark said. What else? How else can we help that person? Let's, we're assuming that one way or another, whether you're assuming that they're doing it intentionally or whether you're assuming that they just don't know that they're not meeting expectations, what can we do as leaders to help bring them into a more higher state of awareness about their performance, about what's going on in the workplace? There's also those that know what is expected and understand how it impacts the team and like willful disobedience kind of mm. kind of thing because there's them too. <laughs> you, could, you could be as, as understanding and curious and blah, 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 but there, there are some that, that take a portion of, of what they're responsible for. For example, let's say phoning a client and they just won't because they don't like talking to clients. But their position is called coordinator, and they will just not, even though it impacts the whole team because naturally it's left off to someone else to do it because the client ultimately has to be informed. Then I would just say ultimately you got the wrong bum in the wrong seat. Yeah, that's and that's kind of, and maybe it's the competitor in me, but, but my thing is just like, yeah. and so as you know, we've done uh, many organizations, we do strategy work for many organizations and Steve knows exactly where I'm coming from. I know where he's coming from, uh, the right seat. Uh, however, you know, the word coordinator could have been perceived as you're sitting here doing paperwork and pushing paperwork and communicating and the phone calls weren't part of my description. And they're not, they're that person who is a very afraid and very shy of speaking to people. So that really takes them into an anxiety state and they may have major anxiety to it. And I'm just assuming a lot of things here as well. 
just giving the benefit of the doubt. And that seems to happen quite often as well, is that the rules change and the expectations change for those people. Again, it's the responsibility of the leader and that person to communicate and have a feeling both of them aren't here, right? So what do you do to your yeah. point? Like you, you, when you've got, or to your point, Sue, as well, when you've got somebody on the team who deliberately doesn't do what they're supposed to do or is, uh, is a, an upset to the, the team, uh, the culture, as a leader, what do you do? How do you deal with that? I'm not liking the word deliberately. Are they deliberately doing it? Or is that just... That's my word. You don't have to like it, but it is my word. Yeah, no, I know. And I appreciate <laughs> that, Kevin. But I, I, I'm just saying, because I think we're, we're labeling somebody saying that they actually don't want to do it. They're on purpose not doing it, or they just can't do it based on what they're going through. Well, uh, let me give you an example. So the same client we, I was talking about earlier with the review had uh, another person in that particular organization, and it's a large, very large organization, but they had a person in the team who was underperforming. When it came right down to, they were deliberately not doing what they needed to, and they were deliberately not following through. And this is going to sound bizarre, <laughs> but their excuse was, this is an evil corporation, <laughs> right? I'm serious, totally serious. There's nothing about that corporation that's evil, but that was their perception and therefore they, it drove their behavior, right? So. What do you do? Whether they're being malicious or whether they're just doing it because of some misbelief or misunderstanding or whatever, what do you do? How do you handle it? Yeah. Sorry, Kevin. And if that's, if that's the scenario you're using, totally agree with the word deliberate or sabotaging. Totally understand that. But is that a normal, is that normal behavior for a lot of people? I don't know. And I'm just, I'm asking that question. Are people deliberately like that? Yeah, the, I, I did face a couple of times people I deliberately didn't want to do, right? Like, this is not what I want to do it. I'm not going to do it. That's it, right? Like, straight cut, okay? And they just don't touch it. So I did face many times, actually. And I realized that the people who got back to me like that are the one with whom I couldn't establish a connection, okay? So that's why I, the whole thing was pointing back to the trust or the connection, right? So when the moment I have that connection with the person, no matter how hard they are right on me, I can still make it make it work for me, right? Like find a way to make the other person to actually, though they don't like it, find a way to actually make it working, like come to a midpoint, right? So the moment I don't have that connection with the person, it doesn't work out. So, I mean, for personally, in my almost 20 years of experience, I saw that uh, that's why I always work first on trust, okay? My first effort would be only to connect with the person. It can be in any way. So, uh, I put a lot of my stories out, right? So my failures, generally I start off my conversation to build a rapport by taking on the negatives or things which put me down and how did I come up? How did I meet great leaders? So I kind of take the situation and then tell them that, okay, bring them to the close network where they can start trusting me. So the moment I have that trust with me, right? Then they can, they're okay. Even if they don't like to do it, they were able to take the next step and then solve it. But like you said, yes, if I'm not able to establish that connection, they were just, no, right? They were like really hard member. I mean, especially the hard people whom I had to work with. So it, till now it didn't work out. So I have very few examples like that, but yeah. 
stuff. I appreciate in there. that. I appreciate yeah. that comment about trust, right? Building connection and trust. That's that's huge. And that's I guess that's where I'm getting Kevin, as as this was going on right now and you were saying that straight, uh what came up for me is that my glass is half full. My my style's pulling in right away. And I'm thinking that people are doing the best they possibly can. And what I'm hearing from you, Kevin, is actually they're not. So most people, some people aren't. So that my style is kicking in right here, and I'm not being aware that that's where I'm going. So I appreciate this conversation that's mm. coming up. So good observation, and I liked, uh, loved what you said. Uh, three is it does boil down to connection and trust, right? If there's high trust, high connection with the the individuals on the team, you can almost overcome anything, right? You can you can correct anything. You can build towards a great outcome. But when you've got somebody who you can't connect with, there's no trust. There's no way we can look it up. That's a and tough. That's a tough. So let's let's expand on that for a minute as we're you're nearing the end of our conversation. But you have you're leading a culture, you're leading a team. You have this team, and for the most part, you've got pretty good trust and pretty good connection with the vast majority of your team. Let's just say, but you've got one person on the team that's an outlier. There's, they, they don't, they, I mean, they barely meet expectations. They're not team players. They don't, there's no trust, no connection. How do you deal with that and protect your culture as a leader? Okay. So I have actually one trick uh, to help me out, right? So in one of my leadership sessions, so they spoke to me about feedback, like how do you give a feedback star and star AR? I mean, I don't know if it is old one, that situation, task, action and result. Okay. So generally for the tough person, we'll give it star AR format, okay, saying that, okay, this was the situation, this is how you behaved, this was your action, right, which resulted in so and so. If I was in your position, this is how I do it. So generally, I used to go prepare talking to that person, put in these two formats, star and star AR, wherever I have the improvements. So give them that this is, so I go to details, otherwise you can't work with them, okay. So you need to really be data oriented with that outlier. So I used to go exactly on the work basis then just talk work and then come back this is a feedback that's it right so you have to do it if you want to be doing but this star and star year actually saved me a lot when i was actually dealing with the tough candidates especially with whom i don't have a connection at all star so uh define star one more time situation the situation or a task s-t-a-r okay action and result action and then result i like that star ar is alternative and result right so if i was in that position this is an alternative action what i would take which will result in something else, else like this okay and uh, see that's where right uh, i end up establishing very professional connection saying that it's my job to tell you that it's not done right so there's nothing personal here but this is a, this is thing which you have not done well this is how you have to do it so i mean when i put that in that format actually it made my life very easy especially with the tough candidates. So yeah. one, one thing I carried out from my previous learnings and I, I apply everywhere and I teach everyone the same thing. Okay, use this. Your life is like, uh, I mean, you can easily deal with it. Thanks, Sree. Bye, Sue. We know you got to drop off. Uh, the, the struggle I have with this part of the conversation is like when you're saying that people are deliberately not doing. I mean, that's a different, for me, that's pretty black and white. Like this, listen, understand. If you can't fix a problem, they, you help them go find a non-evil corporation, so to speak, right? Sometimes we've got to go there and it's uncomfortable probably as a leader to, to have to go there from time to time. But I think there are definitely going to be situations where if there was that one person that's like, you're an evil corporation, I don't, 
understand what you do. It's like, well, why are you here? And I feel, especially in today's climate, hiring climate, like things have definitely shifted to the position where employees feel more empowered to like vote with their feet if they need to and, and all those kinds of things. And I'm a bit old school that way, but you know, we're a small team. If we got one one little rotten apple, they they gotta they gotta go. We'll we'll do our best to listen to them. To, and I think the important part about listen to them is to understand, make sure that you know uh, you can you've done everything that you absolutely can to to help help them uh, fit into the culture and understand and all those things. But I think there's just a certain point that you know that one out of fifty or whatever it might be. There's just a time. It's it's pretty clear to me. Like, if I'm an evil, evil corporation, you, you no longer belong here. I hear that, Steve. And I also, I think it's important to ask what the, sometimes you hear two, sometimes you hear, I go with 10% truth is for that person. What are they pointing to? Um, what are they speaking out against or acting out against that there, there might be a 10% truth to it, which is difficult, especially as a leader and, and especially as a someone in charge of or who has founded an organization it's hard to imagine that mm, you know someone who's that dissatisfied that there there might be a 10 percent truth to what they're frustrated by or complaining about but certainly to if it's something like this um, this specific situation where they're claiming that an organization is evil they may feel called by whatever power they believe in to be in that organization and to impact and influence there. So maybe it's taking whatever you can from whatever it is that that they're dissatisfied with. I, I just think that we at a certain point we can't be the chief happiness off, officer on on every situation, right? <laughs> there's, a, there's there's somewhere there's a line. I don't know where the line, and every situation is yeah. probably different. But there is there's got to be. You can't make everybody happy 100% of the time. And if you're trying to do that, then you might as well go do something else. And sometimes as a leader, you just got to make tough decisions, right? And well, that would be one of them, right? And at the end right? of the day, we're here to do a job. Yeah. Good insights. But I do like that she shoots back to like he's glass half full, at least in, this, in your case, the glass is 10% full, not empty. <laughs> yeah. Like what can you glean from, from that person? I think uh, as you're saying that, Kevin, thanks. Uh, as you're saying that, you know, what comes up for me is that uh, what you said is building the connection and trust, having that conversation with the person and saying, Hey, I care for you. I want to make this happy. I want to be the, your happiness officer. What can we do to make this thing happen? What do you need? And you can only do that when there's true trust built between the two of you. And, uh, that's the, that's the key. And if that's not going to be built, it's time to move on. Sometimes it's not right. It's not right. So you need to, you're in a wrong pack. So yeah. Hey, by the way, this is my first meet. I'm so happy. Glad that I could join actually because of the timings I generally miss. I'm from India, but yeah, I'm super glad that I met all of you. Wow. Thanks for joining us from across the world. Appreciate it. Glad you're here. Yeah. Thanks for your input. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Love it. Looking at And this is why we like the suggestion box. It yeah. Creates incredible topics. So start using that because this is a, this is from one of our attendees today. That's right. Yeah. So to that point, anytime you log in to your platform, you'll see uh, the live meetings coming up, but you'll also have an opportunity to provide a suggestion and provide the suggestion. It may not be taken that particular meeting, but it's, it will be definitely taken into consideration for a future meeting. 
if you know any, any leaders that need to see some awareness happening, we have a cohort starting on May 1st. Point them to us and we'll get them into that cohort. Uh, it might be worthwhile. Just, just a bit of a hint. Yeah, well, you know, might as well give them the the, uh, the link too. So blindspots.vip forward slash awareness. Yeah. It's blindspots.vip forward slash awareness. Yeah, check out our programs and uh, congratulations and kudos to every one of you for continually being here and working on your own self-awareness and leadership skills and, uh, and just life on general. So we're always glad to see you. And uh, it is the, uh, it's time to say goodbye once again. I can't believe the hour is already gone. Bye for now. Thank you for listening to the Awareness Advantage podcast brought to you weekly by the leadership team at Blind Spots Global, a multinational, multicultural leadership development organization specializing in transforming managers who are good at getting stuff done into great leaders who can influence and inspire others to achieve their best. If you have not yet subscribed, please do so now so you will never miss an episode. If you would like to join our live virtual studio audience and participate in the conversations, visit us at blindspots.vip forward slash audience. That's blindspots.vip forward slash audience. We hope to see you there.